reading is from Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 7 to 12. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who dress themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish all who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, says the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. The inhabitants of the mortar wail. For all the traders have perished. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the people who rest complacently on their dregs, those who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. This is the word of the Lord. This morning's uh, gospel reading is from Matthew, uh, chapter 25, and is verses 14 to 30. Uh, You can find it on page 994, 995 of your uh, pew Bibles. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work, and gain five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of the servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, 
you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So, take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Loving God, may any uh, words which are simply from me uh, fly away and not settle. And may any words that you have given this morning for us as individuals in a congregation, may they settle in our hearts, Lord. And may we know you better and follow you uh, more nearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do be seated. So, uh, as I read these two texts which we have before us today, um, the word that jumped out at me um, was from Zephaniah uh, chapter 1 verse 12. And the reason I had Catherine read it from my uh, phone was that uh, it's a slightly different version, uh, translation, than the translation that we have in our, in our uh, Bibles, in our pews. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's, it's, the translation gives a better sort of earthy impression about what is going on. So it says, and Catherine read, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the people who rest complacently on their dregs. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do harm. The word that leapt out was this word complacently. Those who rest complacently on their dregs. Um, It seems to link with the Matthew reading as well, with this complacent worker. Um, And both those kind of slightly jar with the rest of of both the texts. Because, I mean, these texts make you sweat, don't they? I mean, they're proper fire and brimstone texts that we have before us this morning. Proper you know, biblical warnings, and they're not comfortable uh, for us, perhaps. And in the midst of the hot and fiery challenge, uh, we have in both contexts this sort of sleepy, lazy layabout. And it's the charge of complacency which seems to be the problem. Now, in Zephaniah, the people of God have grown complacent. They rest complacently on their dregs. And I think this is why I chose this translation, because I think it's, a, um, it's ambiguous. So in the, in the translation in the NIV, it talks about the dregs of the wine. Uh, so we understand there's a sort of sense of them being kind of drunk and, and you know, sat back. Um, but actually, it, it's a fantastic insult. It, I, I kind of I felt like it's worthy of Shakespeare. You know, Shakespeare kind of has these fantastic insults 
you know, like thy tongue out venoms all the worms of Nile. I think that's great. Uh, use that the next time you're trying to insult someone. Um, and then in amongst that, we have you rest complacently on your dregs. They have grown so complacent that you can imagine them lounging around so lazy and so unthinking that they're literally sitting in their own excrement. Because that is another word for what dregs means in this context. They've lost the will to even get themselves up and go to the nearest cistern. You rest complacently on your own dregs. It's a pretty earthy insult worthy of the bard. And then we have the worker in Matthew who couldn't be bothered to do anything with the responsibility that he had been given. And he puts his gift in the dirt. The reality for both of these people in these stories is that they don't think God is coming back. And perhaps, particularly in the Zephaniah one, they're not sure God ever showed up in the first place. There's no point in working for this God because God has disappeared and is unlikely to return. God is not going to do good or going to do harm. God has left the building. This is what they thought. And in a way, especially with the uh, story in Matthew, you rather think that perhaps that's a bit of a relief. Because the God that they are relating to isn't very nice. This God is a tyrant, a taskmaster. And the interaction that we're introduced to between people and this God is a transaction rather than a relationship, a contract rather than a covenant. You do these things and I'll be your God. Don't do these things and, you know, you can sit in your own stuff. And I wonder how many of us have this kind of image of God sort of rootling around in our own psyche. Better to have no God at all than this God. Better to hope that God is not going to show up than live in the presence of this tyrant. Better to sit complacently in our own dregs than wait for this kind of God. In Zephaniah, they had definitely forgotten their God. The God of Israel. The God who heard their cries in Egypt. Who came down to rescue them and sent Moses to speak for them who could not speak for themselves, who took them up from Egypt and promised a land of milk and honey, and who from that place of love 
and liberation and promise to luxury. From that place, told them the story in which they are to flourish. And their story is this, I am the Lord your God, I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And that's the beginning of the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, it's actually called, in the Hebrew. These Ten Words from God, their story of love and flourishing, that give a framework of relationship, much more like the image in the New Testament of the vine, that organic growing together. Abide in me and I will abide in you. Much more like that image than the image given in Matthew of this employer-employee relationship. This framework of flourishing from the place of being loved is how you abide in God. For some, the complacency comes from a place of forgetting that this is what God is like. Thinking, rather, that a faithful life with God is somehow about winning God's favor with our deeds so that God won't punish us instead of living out of a love which has been poured out upon us. Better to have no God than the God who is the tyrant in Matthew 25. So today, you are loved. Live in the light of that truth. Don't forget who God is. I am the Lord your God. That's where the story begins. I am the Lord your God. But there is another side to this story. Um, and that is that sometimes it suits us to forget God. So let's sit with the uncomfortable. In the Matthew text, the workers are given gifts, and one of them puts it in the dirt. And in any case, God has left the building, so... Using the image given in the story... He enjoys the benefits of being an employee, but bears none of the responsibility. If we're honest, sometimes the cost of living in relationship with God feels too much. And we choose to be complacent. We do know what God is asking of us, um, and it's our whole life, and it will cost us 
and we're not sure about that. Our approach to God should not be, how little can I get away with in giving my life to God? How little can I offer and still be an employee or a member of a club? God loves us. It's up to us whether we choose freely to love in return. The things we do and the life we live as Christians is never about winning God's love or favour or being a certain class or being nice or being thought well of. How we live is to be an extension of the love that we have been given that is so abundant that it simply is poured onto us and pours out of us, the source being God. And so is exhibited in that love that we give. And for each of us, different people, we will have different uh, ways of that love being shown. Uh, I always think, you know, there's something in, some people really have that gift of the small kindness. Um, and I, I, in fact, for me, often those people who have that gift are the people who keep me going day to day and week to week. You know, just a, a word, a kind word. <laughs> Um, a comfort, an encouragement. Um, in fact, uh, you know, um, some of you will have seen Wayne Dixon when he came here to preach in September. He has that gift. He will be that person, even though I don't see him very often, but he will remember something that you said to him that for you, you just you think, okay, it's in that conversation. And then months later, will write me an email or a letter saying, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> I'm praying for you. You know, that gift of the smile. That, that for me, in my personality, is a, a ten-talent gift. Um, I'm thankful for that. So that may be your gift, that how that love is outpoured from you, from God. Or it may be that your gift is, uh, of love is seeking justice, um, for our community and the place where we live. Some of us are made that way. Um, uh, that justice is a fundamental streak that God has placed in our hearts. Or it may be <clears throat> things like uh, practical mercy missions. Um, those things uh, in which we are drawn to the compassion ministries which give a practical doing way uh, to the virtue of compassion. But whatever your gift is, however that love is to outpour from you, um, there's just something in the, the, the smallest actions, whatever they are, being done with love and with the desiring of the flourishing of the other person. 
there is a famous quote which normally gets attributed to uh, Mother Teresa, but I believe that that's a uh, wrongly attributed quote, but it's a great quote, uh, which is that we can do no great things, only small things with great love. We can do no great things, only small things with great love. And the reality is that we can only love with great love if we have been loved with great love. How we live is very dependent then on how much we invest in being loved by God. Because God is the only source of love. And the only source of our love. So then perhaps our first work is to commit to intentional space with God, to allow ourselves to be loved by God. And you know, the only way that I have found for this to happen um, in an ongoing way, to open ourselves up to this source of love, Uh, is in silent prayer, contemplative prayer. I know, I'm sorry. It's hard. Um, I wish I could give you a quick fix. I wish I could. Um, And many of us have tried, I think, over the years as Christians um, to find a different way to... uh, to really bask in this love of God. But uh, real, true, good things never have a quick fix. Um, And this is the way that our mothers and fathers of the faith before us discovered who God is and who they truly were in God. We haven't found another way that is the truth. Because silence is where God is found. That's what Elijah found. In the, wasn't, God wasn't in the fire or the whirlwind, but is in the silence. Once the chattering <laughs> of our world and our lives and our minds is quieted, God can come and we can be loved just as we are not for what we do. We are liberated from the tyrant God which sometimes inhabits our mind, from doing stuff to be loved. And we are free to receive and bask in the grace that is free and which does draw us completely, entirely, unreservedly to give ourselves, all of ourselves, to this love. Life with God is not about being an employee, a member of a club. It is a relationship with the creator of the cosmos. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. It is an invitation 
to love life flourishing. It's free and it costs us everything. And so I'm going to leave you with that, but I am going to offer um, that we, there's going to be a space for silent prayer um, after the service at 12, so people can meet and have conversation and uh, enjoy some of the cake that's been left over <laughs> and, uh, uh, and go, if that is, is absolutely up to you. But I wanted to offer the space. So I think, um, because I, I'm expecting most people will, will need to go and, and do things later on, but probably it will be in the chapel at 12. Um, because I'm not pretending that silent prayer is easy. I'm certainly not pretending I'm an expert at all. Um, but that will be a service, and it will include 20 minutes of silent prayer. And it will also include a sort of explanation of that kind of prayer and how we might help ourselves. So you won't just be left to it without any explanation. If you would like a pause in this frenetic, chattering world, uh, then it's an open invitation. Um, And I will be doing it myself. um, And if I'm there by myself, that genuinely is fine. But I offer the discipline to you. You can do it yourself in your own home anywhere um, as a way of receiving the love so that you may give love uh, and to dispel those images which lead us to be complacent which is that God is a tyrant or that God is not coming back (laughs) and God isn't present dispel those myths they are not true God is with us